We start today our, uh, our fourth uh, month with you, and for those who do not know who I am, I'm Mark Moore, and I'm the pastor of Outreach and Ministries uh, here at the Bridge, and uh, if you want to know what it means to be pastor of Outreach and Ministries, would you contact one of the elders? They will tell you. Uh, I, I'm still learning things that they think that means, and so, uh, but it's a joy Brother David's, uh, Pastor David's out today. It's my joy to, to be asked to, to preach. Uh, many years ago, he's showing my age now, there, there was a bumper sticker that, that some of you, not many of you, but some of you relate to or remember seeing. It said, it was black and, and uh, gold, and it said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And even as a teenage boy driving around Tyler, seeing that bumper sticker all over Tyler, I thought, that's a lie. That's a lie. God said it, that settles it. It doesn't matter what I think about it. But you know, I got to thinking many years later, there's something to that part where it says, I believe it. We have some ownership in that. What are we doing with this man called Jesus. Is he just our personal assistant? Who is he? Several years ago, I was at a deacon ordination service, and uh, we had uh, two Pharisee deacons. I know y'all have never heard of one of those, but (laughs) we had two very Pharisaical deacons. And we had about five young men. I, I think they were I think the oldest one was about 29 years old. They were scared out of their minds. And so they were sitting before about 40 deacons who had been deacons most of their lives. But these two Pharisees kept asking the question, who is Jesus? And those guys, I thought I had prepped them pretty well. You know, well, he's the Savior. He's the Lord. You know, he is the Messiah. And, and, uh, they come right back. Who is Jesus? Well, they'd start naming every attribute, everything they could ever think of. Uh, I mean, they, they went through the whole gamut, not satisfying these two guys. And we went through about 15 or 20 minutes of those guys just hammering those guys. And I'm sitting there thinking, I've been to seminary and I'm not sure what they want. At the end of that discussion, here's what they wanted. They wanted them to say, Jesus is the prophet, priest, and king. And for right so. That's a great answer. But Jesus is so much more. But there's three things the Old Testament teaches about him. In the Old Testament, there were three positions that were anointed with oil. And when you bring out the oil to start anointing, you know it's pretty serious. You've gone beyond Baptistic at that point. (laughs) They were the prophets, they were the priests, and they were the kings. Now you understand that from in the 39 books of the Old Testament, which were, was written over an 1,800-year span of time, you can find Jesus in every chapter of the Old Testament. Amen. 
ever heard someone recently say, we just need to quit preaching the Old Testament. I guess that preacher couldn't find Jesus in Genesis. Whoa. The first four words, in the beginning, God. So today I want to take you to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter, chapter 1. Before we get to Hebrews, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 2. Now I know that uh, we, we, we Christians tend to think that we can only go to Luke chapter 2 when it's Christmas. But I love preaching Christmas all year long. In fact, uh, several years I, I, I became a very honorary pastor, and at Christmas I would preach the Easter story, and at Easter I would preach the Christmas story. And about the fifth or sixth time I did that, I had a little lady uh, catch me the week before on Palm Sunday and say, Now, Pastor Mark, I'm bringing my nephew's uncle's butler next Sunday, and uh, he's never heard He's never heard the Christmas story. Will you please preach the Christmas story on Christmas? Well, so I relented. I did. But you know what? I love reading the Christmas story all year long. So read it, read it with me. And in Luke chapter 2. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the, the census each to his own city. Okay, we know what's happening. We know what's going on. Drop down to verse 10. But the angel of the Lord said, Do not be afraid, for I behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there is born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Right there in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, you have prophet, priest, and king. He's the Savior, He's our priest. He's Christ. He's the Lord. Now, 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 Jesus Christ, Christ is not just his last name. It's not his last name, in fact, not just. Christ is his title. See, in the, the Old Testament, the word Messiah was used for God. And the word Messiah in Hebrew means anointed one. And then you move to the New Testament, right here in Luke chapter 2, in Christ, Christos, anointed one. So we begin in Genesis through the Old Testament with, with speaking of the Messiah, the, the, the long-awaited Messiah. They, the prophets would preach about the, the, the Messiah one day coming. And so therefore, this, this, in, this, in the manger, when you look at the manger next Christmas, you're going to see a prophet you're going to see a priest, and you're going to see a king, all in that one manger. That's what Luke chapter 2 gives to us. Three major offices in the Old Testament, prophet, priest, and king. And now in Hebrews chapter 1, look at verse 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways. Let's stop right there. God spoke through the prophets. And when the prophet spoke, man wrote it down, how we ended up with the scripture. But yet it was, look at verse 1, God after he spoke. You know that God spoke things into existence. He didn't, he didn't bring out the toolkit. He spoke this place into existence. 
And so the, it says in verse 1, and he did it in many ways, in many forms. He, he came to the, to the prophets in, in direct revelation, in indirect revelation, in inspired writings, in dreams, in, in, in parables. Many different ways he spoke to the prophets. And the prophets spoke on behalf of God. Now, a prophet, what, what is a prophet? What's a prophet do? Well, in Isaiah chapter 61, let's look at that, Sean. In Isaiah chapter 61, it says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with a train of his robe, filling the temple. Seraphim were standing above him, each having six wings, two each covered his face, and with two each covered his feet, and with two each flew. They worshiped. They worshiped him. But in that, it was his responsibility that as Isaiah worshiped, he worshiped so intently that he understood who Jesus is. I don't like to say who Jesus was. He still is. You know, uh, uh, Josh in the praise band just led us in, in that song. And I thought he was going to preach my whole sermon when Josh grabbed Revelation chapter 5, because we're, we're going there in just a second. The prophets, they were the truth tellers. God spoke to them, they spoke to man. You know, they spoke 241 times in the Old Testament, and it says, Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. I really try to, when I'm preaching or in talking to anyone, I try to not say, Well, I believe. Well, I believe. God says. Billy Graham, time and time and time again. The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. And so in this, the prophet spoke God's word 241 different times. It says, thus saith the Lord. And they spoke it in, with great conviction, with passion, and with truth and boldness. Now these guys, these prophets, they were hated, they were persecuted, they were tortured, and they were killed. There were not many people signing up to be a prophet in those days. Today it's not much different. You get a man or woman that stands up and says, thus saith the Lord. Wow. Wow. It all comes loose. But yet a prophet, because of their boldness, because of their understanding, they were speaking on behalf of, of God. They spoke as with, as with their own authority. They spoke as one who had been with God. You know, one of the greatest compliments that, that you can give to someone is to say to them, wow, you sound like you've been with God today. And when you've been with God, you get truth. It's not my opinion. It's not what I think. The prophet says, thus saith the Lord. See, if, if although, if it, if it just stopped right there, if he was just prophet, then we would view God as a mean, cold God. Someone always truth-telling. You, you, you're around, you know some of those people like that. If you're around them, they're going to tell you the truth. Whether you like it or not, they're going to tell you the truth. And so, we all have gotten pretty good at learning that when we don't want to hear the truth, we don't go around those people. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I do that. You know, if I'm wrong, I don't want to, I don't want to be around those people who are going to say, well, you're wrong. You know, 
I want someone to pat me on the back and say I'm a good boy. <laughs> so if you want to, if you want to feel good about yourself, don't get around someone who has the gift of being a prophet. They are foretelling truth. So we go to priests. If if he was just a prophet, he just be be a mean, cold god. But he is a pre, he is the priest. In fact, John MacArthur says he is the ultimate prophet. He is the ultimate priest. He's the ultimate king, and I like that. And notice in in verse two. In these days, these last days, has spoken to us in his son. Okay, so he spoke through the prophets in the Old Testament, and now in Luke, beginning in Luke chapter 2, it says, In these last days he has spoken to us in, in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. This was the role of a priest, was to come before God and intercede for the sins on behalf of the people. What a job. How'd you like to have that? I often think when Jesus died on that cross, it says he died, the Bible says he died for the sins of the world. Whew. If he just took my sins up there, it's going to be a heavy day. And then you add the world to that. Do you understand what was happening on that cross that day? He was our priest. What did the priests of the Old Testament do? <laughs> Those guys were busy guys. Day in and day out, they would go in the morning and in the evening. They would go before the Lord and intercede on behalf of the people. And they, the people in that way, they would, they would sacrifice a lamb and, and they would do purification and the people's sins were purified. And they did that day after day, year after year, decade after decade, century after century. Those priests needed a vacation. But they didn't get it. Why? Because they were interceding on behalf of God's people who had sinned. And you see, the, the, the prophet tells us how to live. The priest makes it so that we can live. That we're clean. That we're pure. That we're free. These priests, they, they loved the people. They were compassionate with the people. I mean, they were, they were grace givers. That's one of the requirements of a pastor. You know, I've, I've known down through the years, in fact, I've worked for some really hard-nosed pastors. I, I had been chewed out by the best. I was cussed out in the sanctuary one time by my senior pastor. Now, that didn't happen here. <laughs> some of these guys occupying the pulpits and being pastors, they, they didn't read that book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I've known some hard guys because many of them had the gift, the, the, they were prophets. They knew very little about grace. That's why we needed a priest. The priest would extend grace to the people. He pure, these priests would purify us in front of, of the Father. He, Jesus is the only one, though, who ever got up a throne to come to relate to his people. The only one. I love, I love in Matthew chapter 9 the story that when Jesus called Matthew. I love the story where it talks about that, that Jesus is walking down the streets of Jerusalem and uh, he, he walked by H&R Block and there Matthew was, the, 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 the tax command. And Jesus looked at Matthew and said, let's go to your house. The scripture says, 
and Matthew followed Jesus. When they got to the house later on in chapter 9, Matthew did something really great. He had invited all of his friends. A bunch of rednecks, a bunch of scoundrels, just every kind of witch a person. And Jesus loved it. Several years ago, I preached a message that, that stirred up quite a few people in the church. I entitled it from Matthew 9, All My Rowdy Friends Are Coming Over Tonight. <laughs> Some of the more dignified people didn't like that sermon. <laughs> I talked about the fact that, guys, why aren't we inviting all our rowdy friends over? Why? Many years ago, there was a guy in our church that, that uh, boy, he, he was doubting everything. And I, 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 he had never professed Christ. And I thought he was getting close. But he was so suspicious of church people and particularly preachers. But I kept going after him, kept going after him. One day I was coming back from Houston, the hospitals, and uh, there was a bar outside of Dayton, Texas. I saw his car there. I went in. Sat at the bar with him. Drank a Sprite. (laughs) And just was his friend. By the time I got back to town, Every deacon in that church knew I'd been in a bar. (laughs) My pastor met me in the parking lot. Make a long story short, I didn't care what they had to say to me. My friend came to Jesus about two weeks later. Guys, we, we need to start inviting our rowdy friends to church. We need to start inviting our rowdy friends over to our houses. We need to go somewhere where they're at. How in the world, we've been given the Great Commission Church, how in the world are we going to reach the world for Christ if we stay in this cocoon? It's not going to happen. The last time I checked, they're not breaking down the doors of this church to get in, are they? We're going to have to go out. The Bible says we have to go out. The Bible never said, well, you know, they know where we're at, they can come. I've heard that so many times down through the years. But my point is, Jesus pursued Matthew. And Jesus pursues us. He's the only one to ever get off a throne to come relate to us. Men, or particularly ladies, do you remember when your husband was pursuing you? You liked that, didn't you? I mean, you had him, boy, he were pulling him around by the nose. I remember uh, uh, I knew who Elaine was, and we were both going to John Tyler, and uh, uh, in those days, it was, uh, it was very hectic. It was the days of integration. Uh, we had riots at our school every day, but that's a long, different story. But I figured out that after third period each day, Elaine would come down these stairs. <laughs> and I just happened to be at the bottom of those stairs every day after third period. 
She thought I had something to do there, but I was on the other side of the campus. I, I had run all the way to those stairs. And one day she, she finally noticed me and she kept on walking. But I continued to pursue. Jesus pursues you. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. This church, we don't care what you've done in your past. Because if you're not in Christ, as Pastor David says over and over and over again, he's pursuing you. And for some reason, you're here today. It may be to hear that word, God is pursuing me. That means he must think highly of me. I don't know about you, but I, didn't, I was never in law enforcement like some of you guys, like Carl. I didn't pursue people I didn't want to be around. <laughs> I pursued people that I love and saw something in. And God sees something in each of us. I know we can get so down on ourselves and critical of ourselves and, and be so, so negative about what we can't do. And God says, I love you. I'm for you. He's our prophet. He is our priest. And then we move on to the fact that he is also our king. Now, the king, he sat on the throne. Look in verse 3 of Hebrews. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Whoa. The only time the word radiance used in the, in the New Testament is right here. And the only time that exact representation used in the New Testament is right here in Hebrews 1 verse 3. He is the radiance. Now that does not mean he is the reflection of God. He is God. He is the glory of God. Some of you who now have children, you now understand this verse. You understand that you just see your child and your face lights up. Your face just absolutely lights up. I went to a flag football game yesterday with my grandson, first grade. That's a hoot. <laughs> And one little boy, I don't think his dad or anybody had ever told him even what a football was. <laughs> and they handed the ball off to this little boy. He's about this tall. And they had the ball on their own five-yard line, and so he runs toward the end zone. And everybody was yelling, no, 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 Timmy, no, Timmy, other way, other way. And he's going... <laughs> And he's running around the end zone and all the kids are trying to get his flags. And, and finally he, he got out of the end zone and they just mauled him. Four yard loss. And I heard his mommy say, good job, Timmy, good job. Ma'am, are you watching the same game I am? <laughs> this is what it means in verse three. And he is the radiance of his glory. When you see Jesus, you are looking at God. He is the glory of God. And then when he says the exact representation, uh-oh, there's been many a person try to go wrong here. He's not a copy. He's not someone that's acting like God. He is the exact, exact representation. He is the precise copy. He is the one 
So as our King, He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the word of His power. And when He made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let's, let's take that. He is the, it's by the power of His word. I love Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. John, can you put up Colossians 1, verse 16, 17? For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. I love that. And we believe that, don't we? But then you come to verse 17. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. It's one thing to create everything. It's another thing to hold it all together. You ever played with your children and a stack of cards, that card, you know? And you get it up so high, and you're just proud of it and then your little grandson goes and just all falls down why well I wasn't able to hold it together Jesus in the beginning John 1 says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he created all things but today he's holding all things together who is? The prophet, the priest, the king. That's who Jesus is. And therefore, look at his power. He is holding all things together. He's holding this building together. He's holding that chair you're sitting in together. He's holding the sun, the moon, the stars in place. And if he ever decided to destroy this place, it wouldn't take minutes. It would take for it to come down. One day that's going to happen. Except it's going to come by fire. So as our prophet, as our priest, as our king, we need to realize though, this pronouncement, he is the anointed one. In, in, in the Old Testament, Messiah, anointed one. In the New Testament, Christos, Christ, he is the anointed one. This is God's plan. From Genesis through Malachi, there is a, there is a plan in place. And the prophet spoke, and the scribes wrote down what the prophet said. That's how we got the Old Testament today. And yet, person after person, people after people, nation after nation, for, failed to repent and turn to God. Now, at the end of, when, when, when the Old Testament ended, it wasn't like God said, well, they didn't listen. I guess I'm going to have to do something else. I guess I'm going to have to send my, G, my, my son Jesus. That's not what he said. That, that would be plan B. There is no plan B with God. Amen. It was plan A from the very beginning. That's why the prophet spoke of the Messiah 241 times, thus saith the Lord. People rejected. People did fail to re repent. They failed to turn to God. And God knew that, but he got the message out. There is one coming. He is the anointed one. He's, he, you talk about a prophet. You guys know prophets. I'm telling you, I'm going to bring a prophet. I'm going to bring a priest. And I'm going to bring a king that will absolutely 
rock your socks. You think those guys were tough? You think those guys were graceful and passionate? You think those guys were great rulers? Just wait. And then Luke chapter 2 happened. And in that manger was a, a prophet and a priest and a king. I'm so glad there wasn't just a prophet and a king. Oh, the prophet was the truth teller. I stay away from those guys. The king, he just wants to rule. Oh, that's not a very good life, is it? No. What, what, if, what if he was just prophet and priest? Well, that guy's going to tell me the truth, and thank goodness for the priest. He's grace-oriented. But who's going to direct my everyday life? My king. You see, if, if Jesus is not your king, you're your king. And that's a problem. And that's where many people are today. The Old Testament tells us in Judges, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. That's why a lot of people do it today. Whatever they think is right in their own eyes. No, no. We need the ultimate king. So God knew exactly what we needed. He needed a truth teller. He needed a priest to extend us grace. He needed a king to rule our lives. What are you doing with the prophet, priest, and king? See, remember that bumper sticker I talked about? God said it, I believe it, that settles it. See that, that second verse? I believe it. What are you doing with Jesus today? Are you allowing him to be your prophet? Are you allowing him to be your priest? Are you allowing him to be your king? See, most of us just wanting to be our priest. The grace guy. We don't want, we don't want anyone telling us what to do. And if any generation of people understand that, it's this generation. Man, I'm just telling you, every pastor in the world knows what it's like to have this yahoo over here condemning mask and this yahoo over here praising mask. We, we don't know to, to fist bump or shake or hug, you know. I would, come, I would come home some, some Sunday just going like this. <laughs> I just didn't know what to do. Because someone wanted to hug. If they wanted to hug, I hugged them. If they wanted to shake hands, I shook their hands. If they wanted to fist bump, maybe that's why I got COVID. You know? <laughs> we, have, we have a generation of people, we don't want anybody telling us what to do. No. Elaine and I walked into Starbucks yesterday morning and the young girl yelled at her. Elaine, she was the first one in the door. Put your mask on! <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yeah, we're, we're rebellious people. You know, and we didn't get mad about that because we believe that that guy who owns that store, he has a right to determine what happens in his store, not me. Not me. And if I'm in Christ, Christ has every right to tell me what I need to be doing, what I should be doing. In your prayer, in your prayer time every morning before you get out, do you say, after you pray, you feel impressed, God wants you to do something, you go, no, God, I'm not going to do that today. 
No, we don't say that. We just ignore him. <laughs> Where is Jesus in your life? Is he your prophet? I mean, is he the one you're getting your word from? I was counseling with a man many years ago, and uh, he, was going, he was thinking about going through a divorce. And uh, I told him, I said, man, I'd like to visit with you. He goes, that's right. He said, I have a counselor at work. I said, who is this guy? Oh, he's a great guy. He, he knows all about divorce. Well, why does he know all about divorce? Well, he's been divorced four times. <laughs> Don't talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> the prophet tells you the truth. Do you know that, that I've been in Christ for over 50 years? And not one time has Jesus ever lied to me. Amen. <laughs> now, sometimes I questioned it, yeah. but not one time did he lie. And every time I saw that he was working on my behalf. He's our prophet. He's our priest. He is our king. God spoke. He spoke to us through the prophets. He spoke, speaks to us through Jesus. And we have now the New Testament. So who is Jesus? Well, if we were going to, if, if someone walked up to you today and said, can you tell me who Jesus is? Here's what you would probably say. And you'd be right. You'd say, well, he was born of a virgin in a manger. He, uh, he lived a perfect life. He died on a cross, and he rose from the dead after three days. But then for 40 days, he walked on this earth, appeared before 500 people, and he ascended into the clouds to the right hand of God. And one day, he's going to come back in the same clouds, and he's going to receive his people unto himself. And then he's going to reign on earth for a thousand years. And then he's going to burn this place up and he's going to create a new Jerusalem for us to live forever and ever and ever. That's not a bad answer. If someone asks you who Jesus is, that's not a bad answer. He's the prophet. He's the priest. He's the king. But Josh, he read about it earlier. Outside of the cross and outside the story of the empty tomb, Revelation 5 is my favorite part of the Bible. You know why? I've been competitive all my life. I like to win. If I'm playing hopscotch with you, I'm going to try to beat you. <laughs> I, I still struggle with that. I was playing cat with my grandson the other day at the basketball court, and I had to reel myself back in from beating him. <laughs> Let it go, Mark. Let it go. But I like to win. And you know what? I've read the last chapter. And Jesus wins. And we go with him. But here's where he really proves himself. This is John speaking from the Isle of Patmos that the angel appeared to. He said, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back sealed up with seven seals. By the way, if you don't know for sure, this is the title deed to earth, 
to the universe. This is what's scrolled up. He said, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. It needed to be opened. No one stood up. No one could open the scroll. There was panic. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that's from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. That's good news. That's good news. But let's don't leave it there. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And here it is. Don't miss this. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Who? Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. If it wasn't Jewish, if it wasn't Jesus, the prophet, the priest, and the king, you know who'd be in charge down here? Satan himself. But when Jesus took that title deed, proved ownership. No one else was able to even stand up, let alone take it. And then you know what he did? He went and sat at the right hand of the Father. Why the right hand? It's the power position. He is the heir of all things. He owns everything. He owns you. He owns me. I don't have a right to say, nah, God, I'm not going to do that. Oh, I've done that before, and you probably have done that too. It didn't work out real well. But Jesus, look what he did. He pursued you. He came after you. And some have ignored him. Some have said, I'll take you as prophet, but I don't want you as my priest. Some have said, I'll take you as my king, but not my priest. No, it's, it's not a multiple choice question. Who is Jesus? He is the ultimate prophet. He's the ultimate priest. And he's the ultimate king. So my question to you today is this, church, what do you do with that? See, in verses 1 through 5, we just knew that, that the angel or the elder told John, don't weep. There's one among us. But he hadn't stood up yet. And then in verse 7, he stood up and he took the scroll. What if he hadn't stood up? All his power had gone for nothing. But he stood up and he walked in front of all those angels and all those spirits and he said, I am the prophet, I am the priest, I am king. Give it to me. How does that affect your life? When you make decisions this afternoon, do you consider that he's your prophet, priest, and king? When you, when you consider that job, 
do you think about he's king? He has a word for me here. Do you really take it to heart? Or is that just some type of Sunday school answer? Or a good answer at a deacon ordination service? What are you doing with that, Christian? Is it affecting your life? Is he affecting your life? Are you just waiting to go to heaven? See, so many people have it wrong. They see it's getting saved or being in Christ as they get to go to heaven. Now, that's a great side benefit. But if that's all you got, you're missing out on everything here. This is an incredible life. It's a wonderful life. As long as Jesus, prophet, priest, and king. But the moment you substitute your picture in that place, you're thinking, I wish I could just go to heaven today. But when you give him control of your life, you begin to see things happen. You may not understand them today. You might disagree with them tomorrow. But in the long run, you'll be able to turn around and say, God is so good. So I don't know if you're an atheist here today, just stumbled in here, or if you've just been running from God. And if you're here today and you you know that you're running from God, you don't like the fact that I said he's pursuing you. Because you know he's faster than you. (laughs) He is. And he's not going to give up. What are you doing with this Jesus who is the ultimate prophet, priest, and king? Have you submitted your life to him? Or do you just fill out a card and get baptized so you can go to heaven? No. He wants to be prophet today. He wants to be priest today. He wants to be your king today. It's up to you. Father, we thank you so much for the fact that you love us. And the fact that, Lord, that you love us so much that you are pursuing after us. I thank you, Lord, that 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 kind of love, that you want what's best for each of us. You're, You're not just a prophet who's just mean and trying to rain on our parade. You want us to know truth. And truth is your son. You want us to experience grace. Grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Grace, receiving that which I absolutely do not deserve. King. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah and he reigns. He reigns. And he wants to reign in our lives. Well, I, I don't know who's here today. I don't know that this church this will. Lord, I've fallen in love with this church. I love the people. I love the spirit. But also know they're just more than likely someone here today that's not in Christ. Never been, has never repented of their sins and 
turn to follow Jesus. The Father, in the quietness of this moment, help us to be real. Help us be authentic. Help us to hear the truth. And help us to hear that you're extending grace to each of us today. Father, we love you so much. And we're so glad that you came. But we're glad you didn't stay in that manger. And we're glad you didn't stay in the carpenter shop with your stepfather Joseph. And we're glad you didn't stay on that cross. And we're glad, so glad you didn't stay in that tomb. And we're so glad you didn't stay on this earth and you ascended to the right hand of your father. And we're so glad that you're not going to stay there, but you're going to come and you're going to come and get your people. And we're so glad that we will be able to reign with you for a thousand years right here on this earth. And then, Lord, you're going to give us a, a brand new city in which we will reign with you forever and ever and ever. Father, I pray if there's anyone who's not in line to receive you in all your blessings, may they make that decision this very day. prayer team's going to come to the front and when they come, if you'd like to come and pray with someone or if you'd just like to come to the altar there's people back at our care table in the back of the auditorium today as you leave if there's, or even right now if you'd like to talk to someone about your salvation about baptism about church membership anything spiritual there's people at the table to love to talk with you. So let's stand together. Your heads are bowed. I'm asking you to ask yourself, what am I doing with Jesus, the prophet, the priest, and the king? Have I done anything with him? And if not, Scripture says today is the day of salvation. Father, we're so grateful that you love us beyond our expectations. We're so grateful for a a loving God, a gracious God, a truth-telling God who never directs us in the wrong path but always directs our steps in the right path. A God who is willing to give us of all of our sins. Oh, oh God. As we think just back in the last 24 hours of all the wrong things we've said or done, even thought. And then we multiply it by our life. But you said you were willing to forgive us of all our sins. 
Father, I pray for that man and that woman, that teenager. Just giving thought to it right now. I pray they can hear your still small voice. As you whisper, I love you. I love you. I love you. That's why I pursue you. That's why I came. So, Father, thank you for this moment in time. We'll never get it back. Help us make the most of this hour. Lord Jesus, we love you. We love you. I don't know why you love us so much, but you do. Thank you. You are so good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated.